It's Saturday, June the 27th, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist. Coming up, India's infection spike and WHO's empty coffers. First, the week in brief. India, the world's second most populous country, saw its largest daily increase in COVID-19 infections yet, registering 17,296 new cases and 407 new deaths. Its total recorded infections are approaching 500,000, with more than 15,000 deaths, though the actual numbers are thought to be higher. India's stringent nationwide lockdown expired at the beginning of June. America set an unhappy record for itself yesterday with 40,000 new cases recorded. Florida and Texas suspended their reopenings as they each hit their own staggering daily records. Florida's new cases had doubled in 24 hours. The reopening of bars last month is thought partly to blame for the rising rate of infections and hospitalizations, particularly among the young. The World Health Organization warned that $31.3 billion is needed to fund the international effort against COVID-19 over the next 12 months, of which it has only $3.4 billion, leaving it with a funding gap of $27.9 billion. The money is needed to deliver tests, treatments and vaccines. In May, America pulled out of the WHO, alleging it was too close to China early in the pandemic. Opposition MPs in Pakistan criticised the Prime Minister after he told Parliament on Thursday that America had martyred Osama bin Laden, the leader of the al-Qaeda terrorist group. Imran Khan used the term shaheed, an honorific for a martyr to a cause. The speech was made just after Pakistan rejected an American report that accused it of harbouring terrorists. Amazon bought Zooks, a self-driving car startup, for a reported $1.2 billion. The e-commerce giant wants to build up its own autonomous vehicles business to compete against Waymo, a division of its tech rival Alphabet. The acquisition of Zooks followed Amazon's purchase of stakes in Rivian, an electric lorry maker, and Aurora, another autonomous car startup. Bain Capital, a buyout firm, has signed a deal to take over Virgin Australia, a carrier that went bankrupt in April because of the COVID-19 pandemic. The airline will fly again once its new owner has recapitalised it. In Europe, Lufthansa's largest shareholder dropped its opposition to a bailout from the German government, while the Netherlands agreed to contribute 3.4 billion euros, 3.8 billion dollars, towards a rescue of Air France KLM. And Into, a real estate investment trust, announced it will go into administration, putting 17 shopping centres across Britain at risk of closure and threatening the jobs of more than 100,000 people employed in them. The British property group, which was listed in London and Johannesburg, suffered from large debts, falling retail property prices and a lack of cash in hand. And now, here's today's agenda. Murder, she wrote. Moshfeg's take on the whodunit. While the world is still adjusting to the new COVID-19 normal, Otessa Moshfeg's novels show that the old normal wasn't unremarkable either. In Eileen, the protagonist keeps her genitalia swaddled, an appropriate if extreme response to her complicated relationship with her sexuality. Miss Moshfeg's second novel, My Year of Rest and Relaxation, features an anti-heroine who goes into a drug-induced hibernation to escape the frivolous jingle-jangle of pre-9-11 New York.
And written five years ago but released just this week, Death in Her Hands is Miss Moshfeg's version of a murder mystery. The narrator comes across a note that points to an unseen corpse, causing an obsession that seems to be driving her mad and revealing much about her past and the nature of loneliness and truth. Offset by Miss Moshfeg's trademark dark humour, Death in Her Hands promises to be another entertaining and incisive look at the absurdity of being human. On the campaign trail, Stewart's new comedy polls poorly. John Stewart's new film, Irresistible, released yesterday, is a comedy for an election year. In the wake of the 2016 presidential election, Gary Zimmer, Steve Carell, a Democratic political consultant, is looking for a way to road test a more rural-friendly message. After seeing a video of Jack Hastings, Chris Cooper, a stolid farmer and ex-Marine, making an impassioned speech defending immigrants at a town meeting, he flies to Deer Lake in Wisconsin to convince Hastings to run as mayor. Once Zimmer and the National Democratic Party get involved, so does the other side. Rose Byrne plays Faith Brewster, a cynical, effortlessly dishonest Republican consultant who worked for President Donald Trump's campaign. The small-town race balloons as Mr. Zimmer and Ms. Brewster bloody up the other's candidate in a series of increasingly outlandish campaign tricks. Although the film is expertly acted and cleverly written, it is ultimately familiar and trite. Irresistible makes a valid, unremarkable point. Money distorts politics. Documented migrants, North Korean orphans in the Soviet bloc. A classroom of slightly bored-looking children sit behind their desks in the small Polish town of Otvok in the 1950s. At first glance, the faded photograph is unremarkable, but look closer and North Korean faces can be seen among the Polish students. The image is one of many which features in Kim Il-sung's Children, a documentary released this week to coincide with the 70th anniversary of the outbreak of the Korean War on June 25, 1950. It tells the story of the 5,000 North Korean orphans who were sent to live in communist Eastern Europe during and after the war. Although they were welcomed into communities across the Soviet bloc, in 1957 the North Korean regime, fearful of creeping Western influences, ordered them home. By 1959 they had all gone. What became of this vanished generation remains unknown, but their traces remain in photographs and in the fond memories of their hosts. As one elderly Bulgarian man recalls, we were like brothers. Uncancel Culture British arts reopen. After struggling through lockdown, Britain's culture sector is finally returning. This week, Boris Johnson, Britain's Prime Minister, announced that cinemas, galleries and museums could reopen from July 4th. One-way systems, pre-booked tickets and half-empty venues are likely to become part of cultural life. Theatres and music venues, which remain shut, have appealed for a similar reprieve. Earlier this month, 100 British cultural figures warned the Prime Minister that British theatre is on the brink of ruin. Venues have found it hard to generate profits from online performances. The National Theatre streams plays on YouTube and solicits donations from housebound viewers, but has found it hard to replace the ticket sales generated by three theatres with a combined capacity of almost 2,500 seats. But there is hope. On Thursday, the government announced a five-step plan for the reopening of venues, beginning with socially distanced rehearsals and culminating with indoor performances to a fuller audience. The curtain may yet rise on Britain's theatres.
No ice, please. Penguins pick open waters. Populations of Adelies, the most common penguin species in Antarctica, vary with annual fluctuations in sea ice, but not as one might expect. Their reproduction falls in the icy years and rises when the ice melts. Why has been a mystery, until now. A study in the journal Science Advances has cracked it. Researchers monitored 175 penguins using GPS devices, accelerometers and video cameras over four breeding seasons. In thick ice, finding cracks for diving into the water takes time and effort. But where ice is sparser, access to water is easier, saving them having to waddle or toboggan over long distances to hunt. The energy saved is spent growing and having more chicks. As the sea ice around Antarctica melts, prepare for a penguin chick boom. The news should not get Arctic twitchers too excited. In the long term, melting ice caps is not good news for anyone, least of all penguins. Finally, here's the quote of the day from A.J. Ayer, who died on this day in 1989. While moral rules may be propounded by authority, the fact that these were so propounded would not validate them. That's it from the Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app or asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist radio podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download the Economist app on your mobile device to start listening.